Good morning, guys. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Eric, and I'm a I'm a colleague of uh, and friend of Bryce's. And uh, I recently I was living in AOC for the last couple of years, and then my family just recently relocated down to northern San Diego County. So it's good to be with you. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to just open it up this morning to Exodus, to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, Exodus 20. It might be a familiar passage to you, especially if you were raised as a Christian. Uh, this is a familiar passage, and maybe if you, even if you weren't raised as a Christian or you're tuning in this morning and you're not familiar with Christianity, this may be a familiar passage to you. Uh, Exodus 20, I'm going to begin reading at verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 8 through 11. So uh, would, you, would you make your hearts and your minds and your ears attentive this morning as we listen to God's word? And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. I'm not sure what I expected, kind of going four months plus into a global pandemic, but one of the unexpected things for me at least about 2020 has been, uh, and I know I'm not orig original in saying this, but sort of the idea that the days and the weeks and the months are sort of just merging together into this sort of undistinguishable kind of just mess. Uh, like I'm not sure whether it's Tuesday or Sunday or April or July. Uh, and we've sort of lost this kind of structured sense of time that I think many of us experienced prior to this. Uh, and especially in Southern California, I think it's unique for us where we experience sort of one season throughout the entire year. Uh, but this time that we're living in sort of feels like this endless summer, uh, but without Disneyland being open, uh, sort of weird mask wearing, temperature taking, hand washing protocols, and maybe fewer spots uh, to park at the beach. Uh, and that loss of structured, that structured sense of time, that rhythm of time that I think maybe several months we were able to experience more or less, uh, I think combined with for many of us working from home, the kids are at home, everybody's doing things from home has, I think, given us a heightened anxiety and stress and worry about both our work and our rest, our leisure time, as well as our productivity. And I'm sure you've seen all the articles and uh, about work and working from home and doing things from home and schooling from home and all of that. But today, what I want us to do is to zero in on one of God's words, one of his words about both work and rest. Uh, you might be familiar with this passage in Exodus 20, and you may, have, uh, you may know this as the Ten Commandments. Um, but the word command, I think, kind of, uh, some scholars say that it kind of obscures what's really going on in Exodus 20. What's happening in this, in this book and this, this chapter in particular. 
maybe the the better way to describe Exodus 20 is to, to refer to it as the ten words. You might recall, if you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, that in Genesis 1, God creates a universe. He creates a cosmos. And ten times in Genesis 1, uh, it says that God spoke. God spoke and certain things came into existence. Certain things happened. Ten times, Moses writes in, in Genesis 1, God spoke. Uh, and and it's interesting, he speaks ten words. He speaks ten times in Genesis 1. Well, in Exodus 20, God had, had just rescued a nation of slaves from this impressive and very oppressive kingdom and empire of Egypt. And that empire had now basically unraveled. It had sort of been decreated, and it had culminated in the, in the death of the firstborn son of Egypt. And God, just like he did in Genesis 1, uh, when there was this moment of decreation, of chaos, he began to create and organize and structure and form a kind of new creation, a new community of people, the Israelites. And God, again, in Exodus 20, speaks 10 words. And what's fascinating is that even though we tend to read these 10 words as a list of rules or restrictions or do-nots, it's interesting that right at the center of the Ten Words, or these Ten Commandments, is, is a command to actually do something. It's not a, it's not a restriction. It's, it's a positive command. It's an invitation to do something that is, one, remember the Sabbath, and two, to honor your parents. Now think about that for a moment. A day of joy, remember the Sabbath, a day of joy, of feasting, of celebration, and honoring your parents, peaceful family life and harmony between the generations. That's what God envisions for you, for his people. Uh, that's what he envisions for his creation, a day of joy and relaxation and refreshment and peace in your family and in your community. Today, we're just going to be focusing on that fourth word, that fourth command, remember the Sabbath. And to show us kind of how we get there, how do we live as God's free people on this side of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And to do that, I want to focus on three words. Just keep these words kind of in your mind as we're going through uh, this passage this morning. And the three words are this, first, rest, second, delight, and then third, receive. So just focus on those three words. That's going to guide our time as we, as we meditate together on, on this fourth commandment. Rest, delight, and then receive. So first, uh, the fourth commandment, it invites us, it commands us to rest. And the word Sabbath, that word that we read from Exodus 20, is related to a Hebrew verb. Uh, the Hebrew verb is, is Shabbat. You may have heard that word before. Uh, and that verb literally means to stop. It means to cease. It means to quit. It means to rest. God commands us to stop, to cease what we're doing, to quit, and simply to rest. Now imagine if you're a Hebrew listening to that command for the first time. Uh, your people have just spent the last 400 years in slavery in Egypt. We read in Exodus 1 that the Egyptians had made the Israelites, uh, their lives, just bitter. Uh, they were ruthless to the Hebrews. Uh, and they made their lives bitter through difficult labor and work in mortar and brick and all kinds of field work. There was, for the Israelites, a non-stop pressure to perform, to do, to build, to make. No holidays, no days of rest. 
And now Yahweh, their God, orders rest. He commands them to stop. He commands them to take a break. Can you imagine the Israelites for a moment? Can you believe this? That this is our God, and he's not like the Pharaoh, not like the gods of the ancient Near East who there was no precedent for days off. There was no precedent for slaves taking a break. This God, the God of the Old Testament, says, I command you to rest. I command you to take a day off. I'm going to give you a holiday. I'm going to order rest. And not just you. Notice that lengthy list in the verses that I read in Exodus 20. The command is for everyone, for men and women, uh, for rich and poor, for adults and kids, for citizens and immigrants. One writer says that the Sabbath, this Sabbath command in Exodus 20, is the heart of all social legislation. This was the great equalizer in the Israelite community. This was for everyone. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what class you came from. It was for humans and animals. It was for everyone. Why? Uh, why? Why is that? Most of my theology, I, I have three kids. Most of my theology as a dad comes from Pixar movies and Disney. Um, so you're going to have to bear with me if, if you're not a Pixar fan. But one of my favorite movies is the Pixar movie WALL-E. You may be familiar with it. It's about a little robot who is left on Earth and uh, his, his task uh, while humans are in outer space enjoying a sort of sterilized uh, life of consumption and ease, his life, Wally, is day after day, week after week, year after year, to organize and pick up trash and transport it. And you get the impression after the first few minutes of the film that he's been doing this morning and evening, day after day, week after week. No rest, no breaks. That's Wally's life, right? But God didn't make us like the humans made Wally the machine. God didn't make you and I a machine to, 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 to work constantly, day after day. He made us. It's built into our DNA to take a break, to take a rest. That's what, that's what Exodus 20 says, that the, the, the grounding, the reason, the rationale for taking a Sabbath is that God created the world this way. He made it in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. You were made to engage in meaningful work, but maybe even more significantly, you were made to engage in meaningful and important rest. So let me invite you to consider today, this morning, wherever you are, uh, what that rest might look like for you. Maybe, it, maybe you need to take some time for some self-care. Uh, maybe you need to be refreshed with a couple of hours of gardening or a bike ride or some surfing at the beach. Maybe you need to settle down with a cup of coffee and a good novel. Maybe it's a day away for you from social media or email. Maybe you need to take a difficult conversation with your boss and say, look, I'm, I'm willing to work my butt off for you six days a week, but there's one day a week that I need to take, that I need to give to my family, that I need to give to my friends, that I need to give to my church. And maybe you need to have that difficult conversation. God made you to work, but he also made you friends to rest. He orders it. So the Sabbath, uh, one way that we can practice it, to keep it, is by resting. The second way is by delighting, delighting in the Sabbath. Now think of the Israelites when they heard this command. 400 years of slavery, of bondage in Egypt, God commands them to rest. But also the Sabbath was meant to be a celebration of Israel's freedom. It was designed to be a sort of festival, a party to celebrate the fact that God had redeemed them, that pulled them out of slavery in Egypt. 
in Deuteronomy 5, uh, the first five books of the, of the Bible, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 5, there's another slightly tweaked version of the Ten Commandments. And where in Exodus 20, the rationale for keeping the Sabbath is, as I mentioned, uh, God's creation, the fact that he made everything in six days and then on the seventh he rested, um, that's how he designed the world. In Deuteronomy 5, it says that the rationale, the, the, the grounding for keeping the Sabbath was because God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. It was to be a celebration. It was to be a day of joy and feasting. Israel was to delight in the Sabbath because it was all about God's rescue and deliverance for them. And over and over again in the Old Testament, you read of the invitation to God's people to set aside time to delight, not just in a day off, not just in rest, although that's important, but to delight in God and who God is. In Psalm 92, which is a song for the Sabbath, uh, the poet there says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. So how do we delight in the Sabbath? I think one way, historically, the Christians have delighted in the Sabbath, have taken joy in the Sabbath, is by saying that one of the non-negotiables of practicing Sabbath is to do what we're doing here today, is to gather and worship as God's people. We gather as followers of Jesus, as Christ followers, to declare the love and faithfulness of our creator and rescuer. Not because it's tradition, not because it makes us better, not to, uh, you know, because it's a fun thing to do, but merely because it's good for us to set aside time and space to delight, to have our hearts rejoice in everything that God has done for us in creation and in salvation. I don't know about you, but I find that as, as a, a person living in the 21st century, as a husband, as a father, uh, it's incredibly difficult for me to get everybody to church, to set aside time and space, to delight uh, in worship. It's sometimes easy for me, maybe particularly as a, uh, as a pastor, to come in silence, in reverence, in sincerity, but even to think about how to come to church, how to come to gather as God's people in celebration, in joy and delight. That sometimes is very difficult. And yet these are the things that I think God's inviting us to, to reflect on and to characterize our worship together whether it's outdoors here in a park, uh, whether it's in a church building, wherever it is, joy, feasting, celebration, exuberance, those are the things that are to characterize our worship. There's a story about a, a, a Dutch pastor, and one Sunday morning, he, uh, you know, this is years ago, maybe a century ago, he wakes up to find that a big ice storm has hit the, the village and the town where he lives, and living a good distance outside of the village, uh, he realizes he has no way of getting to church. Uh, the means of transportation are halted. Uh, the, the roads are too icy. But he realizes that the canal next to his home uh, goes all the way past the church where he ministers, where he pastors. And so he decides he's going to strap on his ice skates, and he decides he's going to skate to church, ice skating to church. Well, you know what happens, right, if you're familiar maybe with 
uh, Christian theology or, or the, the practice of the Sabbath throughout the history of the church. He arrives at church to the sort of sour and dour expression of the elders of his church. Uh, after all, ice skating and any kind of recreation and fun was prohibited on the Sabbath. Uh, you couldn't do anything fun on Sunday. So the elders sat the pastor down and they just had one question for him. And that question was, Pastor, did you enjoy that ice skating trip? Well, as a minister of Jesus Christ, friends, let me urge you, let me encourage you to ask the question today, what brings me joy? What brings me delight? How might you delight in the Sabbath? How might you take joy by setting aside time to spend feasting with friends or family or neighbors? Uh, what would that look like for you to take delight in the Sabbath? I think one way that we can do that is, as I've said, to gather together like we're doing here this morning, to celebrate everything that God has done for us in Christ. And that's really what Sunday is all about. It's about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, to have some fun remembering that it's God who made us. Uh, it's God who saves us. It's God who loves you. That's why we gather together, to be reminded over and over again that Jesus loves you, uh, that he delights in you, that he, he cherishes you, that he celebrates you. It's all about being reminded of that great reality. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter, and I love, uh, in, in nearly all the books, uh, you remember Harry grows up with, a, if you're familiar with the story, he uh, grows up with an aunt and uncle who are very oppressive. Uh, he lives in a, in a, in a family that's uh, very abusive, where he has no fun. He's never engaged in anything that delights him. And yet every, after every summer, he goes, uh, after the summer holiday, he goes back to Hogwarts to his school, and there's this grand feast. It's a place where Harry is known, where he's loved. And friends, I want you to just walk away with that image, to think about the reality that, um, that you're called to delight in the, in, the, in the Sabbath, in the day that, the God, that God has made for you, to rest, to delight, to celebrate. So the Sabbath calls us to rest. That's the first thing. It also calls us to delight. Uh, you may, it, may, it may be having a feast, having a party, going out surfing, having a feast, taking a nap to physically recharge. But the Sabbath is also... It's also, third, an invitation to receive. It's an invitation to receive. What do I mean by that? What, is, what, is, what, what, are, you, what are you receiving? Well, consider the language of Exodus 20. God here commands Israel to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And of course, if you're familiar with the Bible, the language of remembering, uh, doesn't, it doesn't merely mean calling to mind or uh, reflecting, but it actually means observance. It means doing something, action. Uh, the Sabbath was a call to do something, namely nothing to make that day holy. It was a call to do something, namely nothing to make that day holy. And I think for us uh, as sort of 21st century Southern Californians, we can get caught up in that language of holiness. It sort of seems perhaps a little antiquated, a little old, um, and we tend to view it as language that uh, in our minds sort of indicates moral purity. But in Exodus, the language of holiness has less to do with moral purity, and it's more about having a special kind of significance or worth, a special kind of significance or worth because of something's connection to God. You could say in the Old Testament that if, if, if you or, or some sort of item was holy, 
It was holy because it belonged to God. So you read about holy furniture in the Old Testament, a holy meeting place called the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, and it was special. It was, it was holy because it, was, it belonged to God. It was God's possession. So Israel was to remember and observe the Sabbath day by making it specially significant in their lives. Why? Well, the answer comes a few chapters later in Exodus 31. There in Exodus 31, Yahweh, the Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Did you hear that? Israel was to make holy, make significant, make special the Sabbath because the Sabbath was a sign. It was a pointer to a jaw-dropping reality that it is God himself who makes us holy. It is God himself who makes you special. It's God himself who gives you significance and worth. Uh, we just recently moved about a month ago and in our, in our house up in Orange, we had a wall sort of dedicated to our kids' art. Uh, my oldest is five years old and so they were in preschool and they, were, they often came home uh, numerous times a, a week with art projects. It could have been just sort of finger painting or things that they had uh, glued like glitter and twigs and leaves onto paper. Uh, and you know, with their name written in the bottom. And we had a wall sort of dedicated just to our kids' art projects. And I found myself, as we were in the process of moving and packing up everything, that I, I, it was hard for me, nearly impossible. I couldn't even do it to all the art projects, but to take those down from the wall and say that, you know, some of these had to go. And I still kept probably a majority of them. Uh, but the, why, why? I mean, they weren't worth anything. They weren't particularly remarkable works of art, but because they belonged to my kids, they were significant to me. They were special to me. They had great value. They did nothing for me. Uh, they weren't worth anything. And yet, because they belonged to my kids who belonged to me, they were incredibly significant, incredibly important for me. See, what the Sabbath says to you and to me is that you can never earn significance and worth by what you do. It doesn't matter how much you achieve. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, the grade that you get. It doesn't matter what you do, how well you perform, all the goals that you may achieve or may not achieve, all the accolades you earn. True significance, the fourth commandment says, true worth has to be given and freely received. It has to be given by God and freely received. It's the Lord, the Sabbath says, who makes you holy. How does he do that? Friends, he does that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Think about Jesus for a moment, a man of, of, of utter significance. People are still today, even now, reflecting on his words, on his life. His life matters because it was so beautiful, because it was an exemplary life, a life that loved God and loved neighbor. Uh, that he was always engaged in things that benefited other people. And at the very end of his life, when he was hanging on the cross, he says, it is finished. The work of God is complete. The work of redemption is complete. And the seventh day, 
The day after he was crucified, his body laid in a tomb. He was buried and he lay still, deceased, perfectly honoring, perfectly keeping the Sabbath command. Quite literally, he was dead. He could do nothing. And then the third day he rose again. After the work was finished, after God's work of salvation was complete, God vindicated Jesus. He vindicated Jesus, saying to you and to me that nothing's left to do. There's nothing for you to do anymore. The work of salvation has been done on your behalf. There's nothing left to do. You know what's very interesting? There's a switch that takes place in the New Testament. Uh, The pinnacle of Israel's week was the seventh day. They worked six days, uh, and then on Saturday, on the Sabbath, uh, that was the day that they took a break, that they took a rest, that they rested from their labors. That's what, how God designed the world. Adam and Eve were created to work, to work six days, to obey God, to love their neighbor, to serve God, and then to enter into their rest. And Israel had worked six days and then rested. But after Jesus' resurrection, something remarkable happens Uh, Something remarkable and profound takes place. The the early followers of Jesus in the first century, they begin gathering and worshiping on the first day, on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And that's a sign, you know. That's a sign that in every aspect of our lives, we work towards our rest. We study hard to get the grade. We put in the hours to get the promotion. And what Jesus does through his life, death, and resurrection is turn that completely on its head. He says, you know what? The world says to you, our culture says to you, your own hearts tells you that you need to work towards your rest. And what Jesus says to you today, friends, is that he has given you rest. He has given you himself. He's given you his work. He's given you his righteousness. He's given you his beauty. He's given you his record and his performance. He's given you all of his significance, all of his worth. And then he says, from that, you can go out and rest. You can go out and work. You don't need to work towards your rest anymore. You've already been approved. You've already been accepted. You've already been designated as a child of God, as someone who's so specially significant to him that he would give you his own son so that you could rest in him. And from that rest, you could go out in your callings in the world to love God and love neighbor, to love your friends, your family, and your community. So friends, this week, start today receive that rest, receive that love of Jesus, that you have done everything in Jesus that was commanded of you. You've performed perfectly in him. And now you can, from that rest, go out and work in the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us a day to rest. You've ordered us to take a break You've given us a holiday. You've given us a vacation. Uh, You've mandated that because that's how you designed us in your image, to work but also to rest. So, Father, we pray that we would heed your call, uh, that we would accept that invitation to recharge, that we would take delight in the works of your hands, both in creation and in redemption. And most importantly, Father, we pray that we would freely receive the work of Jesus on our behalf, that we would rest in him, that we would come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and that we would find rest for our souls in your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.